We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. On today's episode of BuzzBeat, we discuss the postponement of the Hornets games, get to some of our listener questions, and talk about Terry Rozier's value. All of that plus more up next. Blue Wire. With the third pick in the 2020 NBA Draft, the Charlotte Hornets select LaMelo Ball from Chino Hills, California. TJ. Oh! All right, what's up, everyone, and welcome to another Buzz Beat. This is Richie, and I'm joined by Brian today. BG, what's going on? How's it going? I'm doing all right, man. How about yourself? Doing pretty good. A little bit exhausted. Uh, I got my uh, iced latte here to kind of pick me up. But uh, how, how's your uh, Twin Peaks viewing coming along? Twin Peaks is going well, man. I um, I'm in the middle of season two right now, so I've watched a few episodes since we recorded last week um with uh with div and with spencer and yeah it's like it's a bit of a slow burn but i like that i like i like shows that are a slow burn and it's it is legitimately scary but obviously it's funny it's it's clever i i really yeah i really like it it's the only non-basketball thing i have in my life right now so i'm sort of cherishing it at the moment as well now when you say scary, I didn't realize it was scary. I, I knew it was kind of like freaky, but it, it actually, it, like, does it have some like jump scares in it or not necessarily? I think maybe not like, like jump. I mean, yeah, there's some stuff that is pretty alarming, I would say. Um, now, it, it's sort of like the those, I don't know, they could be quantified as like, I, I guess, uh, you know, freaky, freakier than scary. But I, I think the response I, I'm feeling is, yeah, it's a mixture of 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 terror and creepiness um and, and lynch is sort of a ma- david lynch is sort of a master of that so it's really great i really like it um and maybe it's not for everyone but uh yeah i i'm i, I am definitely uh, mowing through it and, and really enjoying it also this is not a reason to like or dislike the show or whatever but one of the best like intros for a TV show. Like, like, you know, like when Richie, when you watch the wire, do you watch the whole intro or do you skip through the intro? Oh gosh. I'm afraid to answer this question. I actually skipped that intro. Yeah. So I probably do now, but 
maybe on the first couple times going through it, I, I watched it. Um, then the song, it's the same song. They change it up during certain yeah, seasons, yeah, you know? Yeah. And I think there are some other shows that have really good intros, but Twin Peaks is like in the conversation for, for strong, for a strong intro that even while you're binging, it is worth the like additional 30 to 45 seconds to like watch the full, the full, uh, the full intro. I, I do that with Friday and lights. That, that, get, that gets me pumped for that show. Just the intro and Friday and lights yeah. as well. So uh, the one show that I've been watching or just finished was a documentary on Netflix. It was called The Disappearance at the Cecil Hotel. And I don't know if you've heard of the case, the Alyssa Lamb case. And basically, mm -hmm. it's, it's an interesting case. Like, I'm not going to spoil the show, but basically, she books a room in this hotel. And the last known footage of her is in, in the... Um, elevator and she's just acting very strange she's like she's pushing all the buttons the doors are not closing and it looks like she's peeking around the corner down the hallway like she's talking to someone or someone's approaching her and the yeah. whole time that you see this video the doors are not closing for whatever reason and then she finally exits the the elevator door and i don't know moments later the door closes and that's like the last known footage Ooh we have of this of this girl and there's a lot of theories she's Louise. yeah it's, it's kind of freaky and because she's she's yeah. acting very strange and i think she does have like bipolar disorder so like it could be mm -hmm. like an episode that she's having and who knows if she's actually talking to someone or not but yeah they, they kind of go through the case and all the wild parallels that that are going on and there's a lot of theories that are thrown around i think a lot of people don't like the show because it's without spoiling it there's way more theories obviously that are just kind of crazy uh, and out there and it almost leads you to believe that it's going to be true but then that they yeah. kind of disprove the theory at, at the end of them all so gotcha okay interesting and it's Very only four episodes only four episodes so you, you can watch it in you know a couple nights so all yeah. right before we get into the hornets here bg uh, i don't get to watch much college basketball and i obviously you write for accsports.com so I'm going to give you some quick hitter questions before we get into some Hornets talk. All right. All right. Let's, let's limit this to two prospects within the ACC. Give me two prospects that will or should be high on NBA draft boards for 2021. And, and who would those be in, in your mind? Yeah, there's uh this is not like a great year. I, I think for, for draft prospects out of the ACC, but it's, it's certainly not bad. Um, and there's plenty compelling names at the top. Um, one of whom has been generating plenty of, of buzz this week. Um, most of that noise coming simply just from the media, really amplifying it, running with it in a, <laughs> in a variety of different ways. But yeah, uh, formerly of Duke, Jalen Johnson. Um, I mean, Jalen's a guy that could, that should go in the lottery that could be inside the top 10 uh, at times. He, um, has looked like, you know, the fifth or the sixth or the seventh best prospect in this draft. I don't know if we'll go quite that high, but I wouldn't be surprised to see him be drafted that high. I think if the Hornets landed late lottery, there's a chance he's the guy they'd have to, um, that they would consider strictly from just like a talent play. Uh, what Jalen does well is really impactful when he's at his best. Um, man, some of the stuff he does well is like really special. And you can see it, translating to the NBA, but there's variety of knocks on him right now. Uh, offensively doesn't have much of a jump shot at times. You know, he looks fine, sort of like just catching and shooting, but no real, no real like threatening perimeter jump shot right now. 
uh, he is very athletic, you know, 6'9", 220 pounds, got that great sort of like rangy basketball body um, and a pretty explosive vertical athlete when he has some runway, you know, so when he's able to, to get a few steps to gather a little bit of steam, Vinny can really explode, but I'm not sure if he's just like, a, a, you know, like a two foot, you know, rise up jumper, an amazing second leaper. Um, again, he is an explosive athlete, but I think he's just far more, um, you know, far more explosive when he's able to, uh, able to, you know, ramp up and, and, and pick up a little momentum or steam mm-hmm. and, and then really explode. Uh, his half court decision-making is not great. Doesn't always make great passes. Occasionally can really like, can, can play make out of the post, can look opposite, can see cutters, can see shooters. Occasionally has these little bursts of feel where he, he cuts through and is able to like advance the ball to another teammate with a little touch pass. That's really, really nice. Like has some secondary creator connector, aspects to his game that are interesting, but the decision-making I think comes and goes and those issues can be um, exaggerated by his lack of like side to side burst beating his own guy, man to man. Uh, Johnson's pretty strong. And if you go back and, and watch the Illinois game, I mean, you can see him, you know, displacing Kofi Coburn and, and sort of moving that guy on some of those drives. But at the same time, teams like Illinois, or teams like Michigan state have been able to get away with putting their centers on him. And Johnson, even with a space court, isn't able to like beat those guys left or right off the dribble. And they're able to sag off of him because of the lack of a jump shot. So there are some interesting half. There's some pros and cons to how Johnson uh, projects right now as like a half court uh, creator um, and a connector. He's far better in the open court. Um, that's really where I, I, I sort of liked him a lot this season was grab and goes his ability to run. That's when I think you see the best of him as a finisher. That's where you see the best of him as a playmaker. Um, and, and that's really where I think he is at his most comfortable and most explosive self, at least for now, defensively really struggles to get into a stance and guard the ball one-on-one regardless of like what position he's matched up against. Like seems enable to get in a stance on some possessions. And as far as like pick and roll defense goes, like he has, he has shown some versatility, some switchability. He's got this great body. You know, it looks like he should be able to guard all five positions, but mm-hmm. like as a drop defender or when Duke's asked him to ice ball screens, like just total, total like hit or miss. Like sometimes it's in an awful position, uh, you know, starts the possession off from the wrong angle, doesn't have his hands in a good location, isn't ready to adjust versus a, a pop or a roll or a slip. You see, I just rewatched the Duke Clemson game this morning and like I mean, he played great offensively in that game, but Clemson, like their ball screen offense just shredded him. Um, and I don't know if he'll be involved in a lot of like, you know, straight pick and roll in the NBA, you know. If he's playing the four, he'll be more of like a backline help defender, switch guy in the perimeter. You know what I mean? But um, it's something to consider. So I like Johnson as a prospect. I'm not I'm not in love with him. I, I don't think what happened at Duke is going to ultimately, like as far as like him, you know, declaring for the draft, I don't think that's going to hurt his right. stock too much either way. I, I hope it doesn't. Like this season was weird. I wish it. I wish it had gone better. I wish it had been a roaring success for both Jalen Johnson and and Duke and and stuff. Just never was right from the middle of December uh, until now. But hey, uh, hopefully it's just the start of things for Jalen basketball wise. And then the other guy, and I'll try to speed this up, is Scotty Barnes. 
um, from Florida State, who's a guy that like, yeah, I could see him. You know, I don't know. We'll see. Maybe come workout season because he's such a, a specimen. Maybe he'll move up some on boards. But I love Scotty Barnes, despite the fact that he's a non-shooter right now. Huge. Uh, Florida State's huge playmaker, like a jumbo playmaker. Um, similarly, in that 6'9", you know, 220-pound range. FSU's playing him at point guard right now. I don't, I don't see him as a point guard for the, for that, for like for the moment, I think he's a, you know, power forward. I think he's a secondary creator, a secondary ball handler, a guy that can connect possessions that can pass from a variety of different places can be very dangerous in the open court. He has some moments passing out of the pick and roll that will blow your minds because he's so big. He'll turn the corner and he'll, he'll just whip the ball to the opposite side just perfectly. But because he's such a liability shooting the ball and shooting off the dribble right now, I don't think like NBA defenses are going to just cave and give him those angles. And they're going to make that a lot more difficult than it is for him right now in college. But Scotty's whole game is built on feel, which I think he has good feel Mm -hmm. is built on passing, which I just mentioned and it's built on some combination of like leadership and his ability to be like a, a communicator. Right. And that's why FSU is a great spot for him because like, he fits right into the culture right there. Like immediately FSU's had him coming off the bench. Some the second half of the season, no issues plays with great spirit. Every game comes in defends whatever position. Cause FSU switches one through five defensively Barnes, his steals numbers are great. He blocks some shots every now and then I don't love him as sort of like a one-on-one defender, but I think he can get better. Oftentimes you just see him. It's just like, yeah, he doesn't get in stance and guys can just zippier guys drive by him. But as a team defender, he can be really, he can be a pest on digs on inner on steals, looking for interceptions. And then as soon as he launches transition, he can be really dangerous, but Barnes has got to become a better shooter. But I, but I, I love a lot of what he brings to the table. I don't know if he's like a great fit for the Hornets necessarily because mm-hmm you know, he's a pass first guy and a bit of a non-shooter and they have PJ at the four and blah, 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 whether that should sway any of these decisions or not. I'm not sure if either Johnson or Barnes are like perfectly clean fits with, with what Charlotte has right now, just due to their positions and the lack of a, a reliable three point jumper at the moment. But I, I like them both as prospects. I, I think I would give both of them, you know, lottery grades. And I would say Johnson is a, is a you know, is a better prospect than Barnes overall. And uh, so, yeah, those would be the, I think those are like unquestionably the top two guys out of the ACC. And then just one other name to mention is Jalen or is, is David Johnson. who's a sophomore, like combo guard at Louisville functional handles, not great handles, but is an, is a big guard six, five jump shot got a lot better this season, added a post game this season. I think it's been a, an improved team defender, we just like to see more of him. Like, like Louisville hasn't played in over two weeks due to, to COVID concerns, but he's big. He can really pass. Um, and he's gotten better as a team, both team defender and as like an isolation post score too. And I think Johnson's a guy that I feel very comfortable saying he's a, you know, top 20 to top 25 prospect in, in this draft and would be a, a nice ad for teams that are sort of like looking for another, I don't know if he's a true one. Like I think he's, he might be a, might be more of a combo guard mm-hmm. and luckily like his strides as a jump shooter. I mean, he's really be turned into a knockdown th- a, you know, three point shooter this season um, with a, with an elevated three point attempt rate, probably are favorable for him. So that along with the improvements as a team defender, I, I think make him like sort of like a nice copy and paste guy potentially as like a late, as like a, 
you know, mid to late first round prospects. So there's, there's plenty of other guys to name, but let's just stick with those three guys for right now. Jalen Johnson, Scotty Barnes and uh, David Johnson. A couple of Johnsons and some Barnes there. Yeah. So that was very informative. Right. I, uh, it's, it's crazy to think that the draft is probably closer than we actually are like envisioning. I can't believe it's already mid-February when you think about it. Yeah, and just a side note, Richie, it's nuts too because the actual, the 2020 draft was three months ago. <laughs> right, you know? right. Like, it's just, it's the, the, the calendar is just so wonky right now. Well, let's, let's get to some breaking news concerning the Hornets. It has been revealed that multiple Spurs have tested positive for COVID. Um, and as a result, the Spurs are going to be missing their next three games. In this same media release, we found out uh, because the Hornets played the Spurs on Sunday that Charlotte will also miss their next two games against the Bulls and the Nuggets in order to ensure, as they call it, health and safety of both of these teams. I'm, I'm not sure this is like good news by any means, but as someone mentioned in our Slack today that... There could be a silver lining um, in terms of helping with the recovery of some of our injured players, assuming they didn't come in contact with COVID. Uh, Devontae Graham left the game on Sunday early with a knee injury, and then Gordon Hayward didn't play at all because he was dealing with some issues with his back. Uh, so the next time that the Hornets are supposed to play is on Saturday versus the Warriors. So their next two games this week are off. Brian, any implications of this? I mean, or is it just, you know, this is just what we have to expect with the NBA season. COVID is challenging because if I'm if I'm correct, you you can actually test negative but still be contagious. Like it, like someone could test negative today, positive tomorrow, but they could have yeah. had it in their system. Like it doesn't show up right away on some of these tests. That's what makes this, that's what makes COVID so challenging uh, because you don't know that you have it sometimes or you're not showing symptoms, uh, but you could actually be contagious. You 100%. I mean, like, yeah, that's uh, of the many things that have made this virus just so damning and brutal to deal with is what you just referenced. That, that it is just like there are you can have it and not know there right. are you know there are delays on with some of these tests to know when you're going to get a result like there are just so many different like loops in this entire process that 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 really complicate what is the what is already like on face values to very scary disease because it is deadly to a certain um up to a certain percentage of the population mm-hmm. And even today, Jason Tatum of the Boston Celtics came out and, and said during his media, some media availability, uh, as you know, Tatum who's having a great season, but Tatum had COVID. And he said like, yes, um, sort of like anecdotally, but like, yeah, I, I think he was, I'm paraphrasing Jason Tatum, but he said, yes, I felt it. Uh, I felt winded at times going up and down so much this season. And, and, and maybe that's, you know, maybe that has impacted his play somehow. He's been pretty, pretty damn good, honestly, but um, that's scary. Like we still don't know all of the, like, you know, intermediate, you know, short-term intermediate and long-term impacts health-wise of COVID and, and even how it relates to high-performance athlete, young, you know, you know, high-performance athletes like Jason Tatum, where we saw how this impacted guys down in the bubble, what feels like a, you know, a lifetime ago. It's scary for, for so many different reasons and is, and is worrisome, but you know, if the, it, it was only a matter of time before the Hornets had right. their schedule impacted by this again, it's just, it's not possible 
to be to avoid it. It just isn't. I can't tell you just covering the ACC this year. I can't tell you how many times I've had to write stories about games getting postponed. And we've seen all that play out in the NBA too. So it's really unfortunate for the four Spurs that did test positive. That was according to Woj's reporting. You know, hopefully everyone on Charlotte is able to stay healthy. I think the, the Spurs were still in Charlotte as of today, Correct. as of when this report broke. Um, but I even saw Terry Rozier on Twitter tweeting out saying like, yeah, it just gives us more rest, which, you know, I'm not even sure that's like the right or wrong read of the situation ultimately, you know, but to the point that you brought up at the start, like, yeah, they, they had some injuries. They had some guys already in the protocol with the Martin twins and, and PJ who who weren't able to play uh, against what Minnesota last week. And then also, um, also in the, the Brooklyn or pardon me, the, um, the San Antonio game. Mm -hmm. And then of course the Devante was hurt in that game. And then, you know, Gordon Hayward didn't play because of uh, what you know, back Back, injury. Is that what it was? Yeah. Carrying, carrying the team on his back. Yeah. (laughs) At times he has been this year, but yeah, I don't know. What was, what was your read on the, uh, the situation when that news broke today? I kind of wasn't surprised. I don't know. I mean, I, like you said, I I think it was eventually going to affect the Hornets at some point. I think like if you have a silver lining, it could be the fact that they are resting up and they can get some, players that are injured back, uh, you know, in the lineup and, and playing, but that, that might not be the right way to look at it. Like you're saying, Brian, like that, there's something bigger here going on. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Transitioning to like the all-star game, like, Correct me if I'm wrong. When we went into this season, there was no plan of an all-star game, correct? I, I thought that was part of it. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah that, that that was like, maybe they didn't come out and say like no all-star game, but it was like at the least implied, I thought that this is like probably not going to happen. They built in this like, Break. you know, five, six day period or whatever that would allow them to sort of sort things out, make sure that stuff was lined up for the second half of the season. But yeah, there was, I thought that's what it was for. It was for like rest and a reset as opposed to that. Plus also let's like squeeze in like a couple more, you know, money-making events yeah. in here. Yeah. I mean, so they're, they're trying to get the all-star game in and they're also trying to get like the dunk contest and three point contest and the skills contest. And I, I just think this whole thing is just rushed. They're, they're just trying to do it for a money-making purposes. I think yeah. that would be a perfect time to have that built in five, six days off and just allow that buffer within the season because one, the season was rushed in the sense that it got started fairly quickly after the last one ended. And to say the least. Yes. Well, yes, you know, like, yes. And and I, I get yeah. it. They're, they're, they're trying to get the, 
the schedule working back on for you know for the next season to start back up in yeah. October, November. Uh, so they're trying to get it back on track. I get it. Everything just feels rushed, haphazard. They're just making last minute decisions. And I get everything's a money-making process here, but I almost wish they just did away with the All-Star game, just had the break, and then that would give the players rest because they are playing a lot of games in a short amount of time. And then as we're going to see in the second half of the season, all these postponed games are going to come into play here, and who knows where they're going to fit them in. So we we don't even know the second half schedule yet because there's probably a lot of logistics to work out. So... That's yeah, where, where where they'll fit them in. Will they be able to fit them in? Like, yeah, a lot of that is seemingly a mystery. It's like as soon as these two Hornets games went under today, you saw what Chicago at a game and yeah. you saw Denver at a Denver game, at right? Game. Which yep. is like on the dates that they were scheduled to play the Hornets. I mean, it's so yeah, Chicago added one with Detroit and I, and I can't remember what the what the matchup that Denver added. Yeah. It doesn't was matter. It but like it, Maybe, maybe it does. Honestly, it it almost doesn't even matter, but it's like, yeah, like it is like AAU style. Um, (laughs) You know, I think I saw uh, Lazarus Jackson tweet that out this afternoon with with regards to the Pistons. And I I thought it was pretty, thought it was funny and uh, applicable here, but yeah, like it's been of all of the like news breaking tweets that I think I've ever had. I've seen, I've gotten from Woj from Shams or whomever, any of these other, you know, insiders with the NBA, the ones like updating on like what the dunk contest is going to be like for the all-star break this year. It's like, God, I don't care. I'm not going to watch this. Like it, it's one thing. Like I think if they, I thought it would have been a great idea to just honor the all-stars, right? Still have all-stars, still name them. Um, Of course you should have that, but playing the game, I mean, none of this makes it, it makes all the sense in the world. And it makes none of the sense in the world to the point. Like I get it. If you're going to play a foul over a thousand NBA games this year, you're going to try to play over a thousand NBA games this year. It's like, what's one more game, right? Except for the fact that you're bringing in players from, from multiple teams. Parts of the, yeah, yeah. Just disparate locations all over the country from multiple teams to play in an exhibition game. That doesn't matter at all outside of, I guess like whatever TV revenue, it can generate. Yeah. I don't know. It's like, it's not a great look, but I mean, they're going to continue to do it and just power through, I I guess. But, and and a lot of the players are speaking out against it. Like, you know, they don't think that this is the right move to make Brian. Yeah. um, LeBron James, De'Aaron Fox, all of those guys. I mean, like if LeBron says it, it carries like a little extra weight probably too, but you know, everyone's thinking it like yeah. who the hell would want to play in this game? Seriously. Yeah. Like I'm not even like really like who is eager to the first break that you've had in months amidst the plague, who is eager to go hop in a jet, get tested a bunch of times, um, maybe bring your family with you. Uh, so you can go to Atlanta and play in a, you know, a made for TV event that literally doesn't matter at all. Like has no, no, no relevance yeah. to like you know, the day-to-day operations of the leagues outside of like, I guess, whatever revenue it's, it is, is set to generate. So I yeah. guess the only players that could be like wanting to play in this game could be like first time all-star players. Um, yeah, but, I but guess. even then it's like, yeah. even then it's like, give me the honor, but I don't need yeah. to go. <laughs> like I can play these dudes and pick up next off season. Like, you know, I don't, uh, I mean, it's a, it's a bummer. Yeah. Like if you're, if you're Jalen Brown and you're going to be, make the all-star roster for the first time, you're having a kick-ass season. It's like, yeah, hell yeah. You should want to play in an all-star game. But like, Given the circumstance, 
<laughs> no, like why the hell would you want to do this? You know, like Jalen Brown, do you remember your first all-star game? Well, I was nominated. We didn't play, but I, I was nominated. Yeah. To play. Yeah. 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 And, and I, I, I hope for Mike Conley, he gets his first all-star nod this season as well. The jazz yeah. are just killing it this season. Um, in terms of getting three all-stars from that team, in terms of Gobert and, and Mitchell and, and Conley, I, I hope he does make it. It's, it's just so hard sometimes to see three all-stars from a yeah. singular team, but I think you can make the case because the Jazz are first in the West. Like I, I just I feel like that's a yeah. case to be made, and I, I feel bad for players like Mike Conley if he does make it for the first time. Um, I think they're they're going on with this game. I'm speaking as if it's not happening. It's happening, yeah. but uh, <laughs> yeah, in my mind... Like they're, they're going to move heaven and earth to make this thing happen. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think Conley, I mean, he's missed a, he's missed a few games now, but you know, I think he's been their second best player this year. Right. I mean, like that's not even a knock on Donovan Mitchell, who was awesome. Um, you know, I think Gobert has been their best player. And I, if you want to have a debate between who's been better between Conley or Mitchell, like it probably depends on what kind of, what sort of like criteria or stats you're looking at. They're both really, really good. Um, I hope Conley, I hope, I hope Conley makes it too. Um, not for the, the, the wonderful opportunity of being flown into Atlanta <laughs> during the, <laughs> during the freaking pandemic, but just because like he's been in the NBA for 15 years, he's been awesome. He's been playing an all-star level this year and for a while now. And the jazz are awesome. I watched them beat up on the, actually it was a pretty close game with the Sixers last night and Embiid didn't play in that game, but yeah, it's just one of those games. Even without Conley, Utah's scary. Clarkson got hot. Um, yeah, they're, they're really free. Clarkson surprised me, um, in terms of just his impact with that team, that, that whole team up and down, up and down the roster, like they've got depth and I've always said that they don't have like a top end talent, but they've got plenty of depth on that team. They've got, they've got, they've got a bunch of like B plus, like to a, a minus maybe shot creators, you know, Conley, Mitchell, uh, Clarkson, Bogdanovich, they've just got, they've got, yeah, Ingles, they've got snipers and playmakers everywhere. And, Gobert makes them functional defensively um, in favor. Like they have a good bench, you know, favors is a great backups is a really solid backup center. Clarkson's, you know, in the race for, he leads the league in bench scoring, which probably makes him the front runner for the six man of the year award or in, you know, certainly in contention for that. He's doing it efficiently. And then you and I both like this player a lot, but Royce. like Royce O'Neal yep. is just like a stud three and D guy yep. that guards every position snipes threes and has like a pretty good like catch and go game and can pass a little bit on the on the move too like yeah like i still like both of the la teams above them but they're awesome they're really good they're a threat to win the title this year they're legit they are yeah just put royce o'neill in the corner and just have people drive and kick and he's gonna he's gonna knock those down yeah, 40, 43% on threes this year. He's, wow. he's just sniping. Let's get to some listener questions. Uh, speaking, I think we mentioned Div's name in this podcast so far, but uh, Div sent in a question. If we assume that LaMelo and Hayward are foundational parts of this team moving forward, which current rotation player do we think fits best with those two? And which rotation player are you concerned may not fit as well moving forward? So I think the most obvious piece, and I think I mentioned this when Div was on the podcast, is Miles Bridges. Um, You know, looking Mm -hmm. at the numbers, in terms of like the net with all those three on the court, LaMelo, Miles, and Gordon, hasn't been that great. But if you actually, if you put Gordon and Miles on there, been really good. LaMelo and Miles, those net numbers have been very good. 
with the lack of a true rim runner that we have on this team and that vertical lob threat, Miles brings that from the forward position. I think you even kind of mentioned that on the last podcast. Like that's that's those are the types of players that you need, especially with LaMelo. Any player that can dive and cut into the teeth of the defense, that's going to create problems for the opponents. And Miles is doing that. Uh, when LaMelo and Miles are out, out there on the court, it puts a ton of pressure uh, on the rim. Uh, that's, that is definitely supported by the numbers there. And then I think if you draw the defense into the paint, it allows for opportunities elsewhere, you know, on the outside. So, and, and if we're just thinking about prototypes, like I just mentioned the fit next to Mello and Hayward, you do want good rim runners. You do want good, you know, screen setters and players that can knock down an open three. Now, Miles Bridges, isn't all three of those things, but right mm-hmm. now he's doing a good job of, putting pressure in the paint, putting pressure on the rim. And he's got that vertical lob threat that is perfect for LaMelo's game. So that's the one player that that really has stuck out to me in terms of just the fit with those two, especially. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy. Hard to imagine this too, but Miles is still just 22. Uh, I know he turns 23 <laughs> in March, but like he's still really young. He still should be getting better. I think he's had um, an awesome season you know, you certainly want corner three-point shooters around LaMelo. 15% of his shots this year uh, have been from the corners. And he shot a, a nice number on those looks. He's been um, he's been less good from above the break. No surprise there. That's sort of like the general trend for the entire league. And that's also fits with Miles for his entire career since he entered the league in 2018. He's shooting 70% at the rim. Um, he's obviously been a wonderful uh, you know, lob piece for LaMelo, either on those, the pick and roll little stagger looks that they like to run with those two guys or uh, in transition, those guys are, you know, LaMelo and, and Miles are, mm-hmm. it's one of the most fun tandems in the league. Um, and I even think Bridges like playmaking has been, um, I think like really nice this season. I think his short roll passing has been valuable and has been impactful. I think some of his post passing has been good. I think there have been flashes of open court playmaking. He had two, he had a really nice, um, like crossover left to right, plus a, a right handed little like floating layup finish and a, and a foul yeah. against yeah, San yeah. Antonio, or that he uh, went over the top of Pirtle, who's blocking everything at the rim right now, aside from that. So, um, and, and my, look, I think Miles can be a little scattershot defensively in terms of like help assignments and stuff, but his athleticism is, 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 is real. And he's so strong. He can guard a variety of position types and he can create some events defensively too, but there are, there are gaps and missed assignments as well. Yeah. I say all of that um, to say that I, I think PJ is, is still probably the best fit with these guys. Um, yes, he does not give you that, that like vertical lob threat that miles does. And, you know, that is important with LaMelo. There's, there's no denying that those are just, you, Charlie gets X number of, of free points with that setup every game, right? Like they get, they have, you can already mark down two to four points for Charlotte just because of the LaMelo and, and miles, uh, vertical connection. But in PJ has struggled this season. We talked about this with Spencer and Div last week, right? Like this has been unfortunately for, for PJ in terms of scoring, he is, he is, you know, his shot chart is a little weird this year compared to how it was just pristine and perfect last year, everything at the rim or a three. And he shot, you know, pretty good numbers uh, on three in part because he was so good from the, uh, the corners 
And, you know, the post-up efficiency has not been as good this season. The rim run efficiency has not been as good. You know, we've seen some games where he's really struggled to finish at the rim. But PJ can do so many things on the basketball court. And I'm trying not to let this like 20 to 25 game sample where he's been up and down and has not been at his best finishing and scoring offensively, like completely uh, push away everything that I thought from him during his second season at Kentucky and during his rookie season with the Hornets win. Like I still think PJ is a guy that should start in the NBA and can be a damn good role player for a decade. Um, he's a pick and pop threat that pairs really well with LaMelo too. Um, he can post switches that pairs well with pick and roll with LaMelo. He's a good corner three point shooter. That too is a good piece. He can play make as well too. I know he's had some inconsistencies this year, but he can basically do everything on the court when he's like going right. And he's limited athletically because he's not super explosive. Like we always say in this pod, he plays to the level of the rim. He's not like an above the rim player. And this season he's probably Hasn't been quite there. Probably a little more uh, groundbound than we would probably like to see PJ look. Um, but I would still say he's the best fit long term with that with that group going forward. Can play the four. Can play the five. I mean, I know Bridges has versatility between yeah. the three, four, and five too. Um, but I th- but I'm, I'm still going to make the case for PJ. I still like. I have not. He he should still be a very good rotation piece for a long time in the NBA. And his ability to stretch and pass, um, I, I think, is our real weapons. And I think fit uh, with LaMelo in. And Hayward is, we've discussed on this this pod before, too. Like, those guys, Hayward and LaMelo, they're tethered together for the next four years because that's the extent of Hayward's contract and that's the extent of LaMelo's rookie contract. Um, it's going really well right now. We'll see what that looks like, you know, with Hayward <laughs> in, in a couple of years. Um, I think you could make a case for a couple of other, other guys on the roster. Cause if you're looking at that four year window, like, you know, maybe Cody Zeller, um, you know, if you wanted to make the case for, uh, for, I'm not, maybe someone wants to make the case for Rozier. I don't feel particularly inspired to do that. Um, you know, there's maybe some sort of like wacky off the wall case for Monk to be in this conversation yeah. as well. But I, I really think it does come down to to Bridges or, or PJ and, and I'll, I'll go uh, Washington. I, I lean a little bit Bridges, but I, I think PJ can learn a lot from Miles. Like my, Miles to me had some ups and downs in his sophomore season and, and you, you know, yeah. he's turned it around this year. So I think a lot of what struggles that PJ is having could be mental. Like he's missing a lot of bunnies at the rim. And, and you're just like, is this getting in your head after everyone that you miss? You're just mm-hmm. overthinking it because you were just, that is something that's always been a part of his game, especially when he was at Kentucky. So I, I think that this is just like a learning experience for PJ. I, I am not by any means like overly concerned, but I will, I will say, I, I think anyone would say that this season for PJ has not gone up to the standards that I think that most fans would want out of him. Um, Mm -hmm. The second part of this question, who are you most concerned that's a rotation player that would not fit well with these two? Now I'm looking up and down the roster. I mean, there's not like one that like sticks out in my mind that like, I'm just like overly concerned that won't fit with LaMelo or Gordon. I do think LaMelo and Gordon are very good facilitators. That's part of their game. They can make players look better than they really are. I guess you can say biz because he is a, he is somewhat of a rotational player, but the good news is if you want to call it good news, he's a free agent at the end of this year. So it may not be something that the organization will have to stress 
too much about, you know, moving forward. But like I said, I think LaMelo has made Biz a better player. I think Biz at times has looked better than he really is. Now, granted, he actually, to me, Biz, has impressed with the way that he's caught the ball this year. He's even impressed me in the way that he's played out of the short role at times. But, Mm -hmm. I mean, he clearly clogs the lane. He doesn't offer much in terms of spacing. And uh, while he can catch a lob every now and then, like, that's not something that I just, like, would want to rely on. So, I, I don't know. I don't know how to answer that second part of the question. One, because Biz won't be on this team next season. Uh, well, unless we resign him, which I don't think that's the route they're going to take. I mean, is there a play yeah. on this roster that you're just like, okay, this guy does not mesh well with Lamelo. This guy the, does not mesh well. Luckily, the, I mean, this is like the the value of the Hornets lucking into the number three pick and 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 seemingly really hit on something with Lamelo Ball is he's a he's, you know look there's he has to get so much better in so many different things, but he's a six foot seven primary creator, right? Like that checks so many boxes that makes team building uh, so much more interesting and and maybe more challenging in some ways, but as like on like a baseline level of like building out a roster, at least like making a competent roster, um, whether it's like a title contending team, that's where I think the real challenges lie, but, but building something like good and semi sustainable around him should be like that should be fun. I mean, it's going to be a challenge, no doubt, but like it just, the possibilities are so much easier now than when you're still searching in the dark for a LaMelo ball, right. And hoping you get the number one pick this year. So you can draft Kate Cunningham, right. Or, or draft and get the number three pick and draft Jalen Suggs or whatever. The one guy and, and I'll, and like, I'll say this, like, I think Devante and LaMelo have had some really nice moments together this season. Um, some of those lineups with those two have been pretty good this year as well, as we've discussed on this, this podcast. But if you have LaMelo and you have Hayward, so you've got you know, some playmaking, you've got some shooting, mm-hmm. you've got some usage, you've got some creation, um, but you really need a little more defense. You maybe need a guy that can really run around and, and, you know, shoot threes or attack a closeout, whatever, just like the skills that you would be looking for at that next off ball guard. I don't know if Devonte Graham checks all of those boxes. You would want a better defender. You would want a better on ball point of attack defender to pair with LaMelo and to pair with Gordon Hayward. You maybe you would want someone that could really pressure the rim a la Malik Monk, right? And be able to drive from 25 feet out. Devonte Graham doesn't do that. Maybe you would want someone that can run around screens and, and bomb threes. And Devonte can do that. So right. that. That's why like, that's why like, I'm not saying this doesn't, this can't work. And as we've talked about so many times, even before LaMelo was on this roster, like Devante's, you know, ultimately like the hope is probably for him to turn into your, like your, your six man stud. But I don't know. There's already some like, you know, flu, like the, those jobs are pretty fluid. You know what I mean? I mean, you can have some guys that can be a franchise backup, but you can have your Monte Morris or, you know, you can have your Fred Van Vliet, although he's gotten so good that he's like an integral, he's a starter and integral part of what Toronto's, you know, doing going forward, obviously in this year too. But, uh, but maybe Devante, as far as like the actual rotation pieces, right, right, he's right. maybe the, the one that's like, that's, that's like the, the least clean fit. fit. And then, I mean, I don't, I don't know. It's like Zeller is such a great fit, but the health concerns and like the age timeline aspects, you know, maybe, maybe you want to make a case for that too. Um, you can almost argue Zeller on both sides of this uh, hypothetical. Yeah. 
I guess I guess a good way of putting the Devonte thing. Like I don't necessarily think it's a bad fit with those two, but I think there's better ways to maximize the roster. And exactly, that's probably the best just, way to put it. You there's some overlap and there's some diminishing returns, right? Yeah. And so if you're thinking about if you have a finite amount of resources, well, like what's the best way to allocate them? Yeah. Um. And and yeah, I mean we'll see. You know, Devonte is a he's he's a free agent this summer so there's some there's some like this offseason for charlotte is going to be a, a little interesting with the free agency of zeller monk Devonte graham you know rosier will effectively become an expiring contract as this free agency approaches in 2022 like there's a you know biz is a free agent there's just there's a lot of stuff to uh uh to address right. going forward and I think the thing is with Devonte, like if his role is best suited coming off the bench, then maybe his minutes aren't directly tied to Hayward and Lamelo as much. Obviously, there's yeah. staggering that goes on. But you bring up Terry Rozier, uh, and the next listener asks a question: Is Terry more valuable long term as a cornerstone piece or a trade chip this year to get Mobley? <laughs> uh, I say keep him, but just a topic for conversation. So this is a very good question. This was a question or a topic that I was going to bring up regardless at, at some point, and I think we have to have this discussion somewhat soon. But before we get into whether or not we think he's valuable for this team or valuable as a trade chip, I just want to hit upon like Rozier. Like he's been so good this year. He's been better than last season. Um, especially recently in the last seven games, he's been averaging 27 points, shooting 55% on catch and shoot three pointers, 38% on pull up three pointers. He's been a real asset to this team on, on both ends of the court. He's been a pesky on ball three quarter court defender. Um, he's just lighting it up offensively. He's been much more aggressive and more decisive, you know, in his decision making. And, and, and it, I even mentioned this, I believe on Twitter the other day, like, the thing that stuck out to me last season with Terry Rozier outside of the good catch and shoot numbers was the fact whenever he snaked pick and rolls, he was very indecisive. It's almost like he kept the defender on his back and did not have a plan in place. Now, when he's snaking pick and rolls, he's being more decisive. He's being aggressive. He's attacking the rim. We've seen him hit some shots high off the glass over, you know, bigs. And something that I mentioned about a week and a half ago, I think when I did a solo pod, but he's he's been a factor in the pull-up mid-range game as well. And that just gives another added element to his game. This is like the most confident that I've seen him. And, he, and he's a confident player as it is, but this is the most confident <laughs> that I've seen Rozier since yeah. he was acquired by the Hornets a couple summers ago. And I, I guess to, to kind of go back to the question, I think that's what makes it so hard to determine if he's a better trade piece or a staple because he has been good and he's relatively young and he's been a, he's been an impact player on this team. What what have you seen so far from Terry Rozier this season before we kind of a touch upon the question here? Yeah, I have a couple thoughts. Um one is I think you you're mentioning Terry and his ability to snake screens. I still find myself watching games and occasionally getting frustrated because sometimes those things go they just die in the vine. I think with Rozier, his pick and roll activity, a lot of it depends on where the screen is and how it's been set up. Um, I like Rozier more as like a side handoff pick and roll guy, right? Or you run him off a down screen and then the guy who sets the off ball screen goes and dives to the hoop, right? I sort of like like Terry more in those as opposed to just like a, a shot clock running down, give Terry the ball from at 26 feet and run a ball. Yeah, I'd rather have LaMelo or Devontae or Gordon Hayward probably maybe doing those things. Um, his catch and shoot game has been ridiculous this season. You, you mentioned that, uh, Richie, but 79% 
<laughs> yeah, seventy nine percent effective shooting um, on half court catch and shoot looks this season. Uh, that's in the ninety eighth percentile in the NBA. Uh, on pull-up shooting in the half court, 53.5% effective shooting. That's in the 83rd percentile on a ton of volume. Uh, Terry Rozier, among NBA players with at least 100 spot-up possessions, uh, just ahead of Donovan Mitchell for number one in the NBA this season and an inefficiency on spot-up possessions. Uh, funny enough, uh, Nick Batum is number three <laughs> amongst this group, followed by Joe Harris and uh, Malik Beasley. But that's that's the top five. And that'll change. Like Donovan Mitchell was ahead of Terry uh, before they played against Philadelphia uh, last night. But the point is, he has shot the ball um, outstandingly well off the catch. Just absolutely breathing fire. Malik Monk's been great off the catch this season, too. He's about 62% on catch and shoot threes for Monk this year, which will come down eventually. But for now is pretty fun else thinking elsewhere about Terry. You mentioned his point of attack defense. We talked about that a little bit last week. You know, I still think he, he I still think he messes up a lot on defense. Like I still think he misses rotations. Um, I still don't think he's like a great playmaker for others. Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. Uh, anytime he creates off the pick and roll, like it's to get to his shot. Yeah. And that's okay. Like this team, this team for right now, they need people to take shots, but like he's not an A1 uh, creator by any means. Um, you know, maybe, you know, he sort of tops out in my opinion as a secondary creator. And to his credit, he sort of bought into that. I think that was one of the things before he got arrived to, in Charlotte from Boston, where I was sort of worried of like, Oh man, does he want to like play with the ball? And then Devonte started playing so well where it was like, well, will will Terry be okay with this secondary offensive role? And like, yeah, he is like, he's fine to run around and, and bang threes and JB, especially on after time outlooks like really leverages uh, Rosier's movement shooting, right? Like a lot, so many of those after timeouts designs that Borrego draws up, they involve Rozier coming off a screen or coming off throwback action or, or something like that to, to look for a good, to look for a good, good shot. So Charlotte is really like, you know, putting the pedal to the metal with what Rozier can do as a, as a shooter right now, both in both perhaps because like it, it helps them, I guess, win games in the interim. And then, I mean, I don't think this is why they're doing it, but if you wanted to showcase Terry Rozier as like a sniper, uh, and like a, a real threat running around screens as which can be a benefit to basically any offense in the NBA. Uh, Charlotte's probably done a, a pretty good job of that indirectly. You know, mm-hmm. um, again, I, I don't love him as a creator because he's not like a, a, a great passer a la certainly LaMelo, maybe not even, you know, Monk or Devante. Um, and again, I think he has gaps defensively as like a really as like a team and, and help defender, um, but he gets steals. And you mentioned his point of attack defense and his willingness to really guard, you know, you know, 70 feet, 80 feet of, of real estate is, uh, is, is like a, is a, is can be a value to, yeah. to the Hornets. So in like, ultimately, man, like I, I just can't believe how much return they've gotten on this, on this deal already. Like it's, I was not in really in favor of this. I, no. I give Spencer, I give Spencer a lot of credit for at least seeing, um, sort of seeing the force of the trees as to like why Charlotte maybe wanted to do this beyond just getting some, something as opposed to nothing with, with Kemba leaving. Um, For me, that was, for me, it was really easy to see the value with the Hayward signing, even if I didn't necessarily agree with it. Uh, The Rozier transaction was more of a challenge, but uh, yeah, that's why, I mean, Spencer was, was all over that when this thing happened uh, two summers ago. So yeah, I, uh, as far as like how he fits, you know, long-term, 
I, I have some thoughts, but uh, what what do you what do you think, Richie? What's the way to maximize the remainder of the Terry Rozier experience in Charlotte? Yeah, so I, I do I do think when it comes to realistic options, Rozier could probably be Charlotte's best trade piece, and just just in terms of who they could trade and what they could get back. Now, obviously, Lamelo Ball will get you back more than Rozier, but yeah, we're right. not trading Lamelo. Um, realistic re- realistic trade pieces. Yes, he's probably the best thing they have available. Yes. Yeah, probably. I mean, like, you know, you can throw Cody Zeller into there, but yeah. right now, yes. Terry Rozier, the way that he's playing, um, he's he's going to be giving you guys, the giving the Hornets the most in return. Now, his salary, you know, $19 million is a little tricky to work with. It, it makes it difficult um, in terms of maybe getting something in value of return, but... I'm assuming if you're if you're trading Terry Rozier, it's probably going to be going to a contender. Like a contender would love to have this guy on their team. Um, yeah. So the question states, you know, a trade chip to get Mobley. I don't think anybody in the upper t- or the lower tier, however you want to look at it, the lower tier of the lottery, upper tier of the lottery, wants somebody like Terry Rozier. They're going to just take their chances on Mobley. I would assume. Yeah, they should. Evan Mobley is awesome. Yeah, he's he's the number two prospect in this draft. By a lot. I mean, he would be such a great fit with Charlotte. He's like he's like a perfect fit with Lamelo uh, in so many different ways. But as much fun as Charlotte's start to the season has been, I mean, I don't. I think they've played themselves out of the hypothetical Evan Mobley. The only the only case I could maybe see this happening would be Golden State is so desperate. Like Golden State's, they're they're gunning for the playoffs right now, and they're what twentieth in offense. There's they're like something like that. Even though Steph has been amazing, Steph's like you know shooting 50, 40, 90, right? Mm-hmm. But maybe you know they don't have Clay Thompson. Maybe they would want another shooter. I mean, Rozier doesn't really help out any of their like you know creation concerns that much. But maybe with Draymond and and again, I I don't even know like the package that Golden State would offer. But Golden State has the Minnesota pick, right? It's top three protected for 2021, and then I believe it's unprotected for 2022. Um, so that pick maybe even like that pick is crazy. That's like one of the the biggest like floating assets right now. Like Minnesota needs that pick. Yes. Um, you see you see how much of a mess they are this season and. I mean, Anthony Edwards looked awesome against Charlotte the other night. I think he's going to be a, a good pro. I'm, I'm excited for the Anthony Edwards experience, but like they need, they need to like, yeah, I know they got D'Angelo Russell. I'm not a huge D'Lo guy to begin with. Um, but if they, man, if they, they lose that, if they lose that pick, you know, if that pick falls fourth um, and, you know, they lose out to draft you know, Jalen Suggs, who's from Minnesota or Jonathan Kaminga, you know, whomever, um, so that was maybe the one thought, like, could you, I don't like, I, I'm not saying this is going to happen, but Golden State is the one sort of like wild card, you know, pseudo playoff team that would maybe be interested in someone like Rozier. But I don't, I'm not, again, I'm not, I don't, I don't anticipate that happening. I don't anticipate Charlotte moving Terry Rozier. No. Um, like what's, but if you, but if the question is what's the best way to like, maximize terrorists here. Yeah, it would be to, I, I think it would be to, to trade. If you could get a, if you could get a legit package, like if you could get a, a good first round pick for Terry, then, then that's a good bit of business. Cause then that's connected to the, the Kemba transaction, right? Is it not, you know, it's like the, the then all of a sudden you didn't, you move like indirectly, you ended up getting, you would end up getting a first round pick or some package of assets indirectly for Kemba. Um, if you wanted to even think about it uh, like that. So, I don't see, I don't see that. I don't foresee that happening to be clear. 
Yeah, it's sometimes hard to kind of imagine his value and, and what it would get in return, knowing full well that I don't think Charlotte is going to entertain any kind of trade involving Rozier, considering where they're at in the standings in the East. I think they're going to stand pat and, and hold on to him, even though it may be the savvy thing to do in terms of maybe trying to flip him for something. And that's a good point about the Golden State pick. Uh, well, I guess it's technically the, the Minnesota pick. Uh, if it falls below three, that would be a contending team or a playoff team that, that's trying to push for it that also has a high-ish pick there. So that actually yeah, ties... And, and, logis and logistically, like, I'm not sure all of that would even work, but that was just the one yeah. in, in my head that I was thinking of. I, I'm not... I'm not sure the feasibility of that on, on a couple of different levels, but that was the one thing that was sort of rattling around in my head as a possibility, mate, I guess. Yeah. And I'm, I don't think Charlotte would necessarily entertain it. Like I don't think they're out there seeking trades for Rozier and I'm not sure golden state would do it, but that's a, that's a very interesting kind of trade partner there. And, and this ties to our last question of the podcast from AJ Shannon, should the Hornets make a trade and, and you know, whether it's Rozier or whether it's, you know, anyone else on the roster? If so, what position and who on the roster is available? Well, first off, the, the most obvious position of need, and, and we've talked about this before, is center. Uh, Zeller is really the only competent, true center on the roster. But but this also gets into the question, and I think we should discuss this from the Hornets' point of view. Should they be buyers? Should they be sellers? Or should they just sit tight? Because I I can see whenever you have Michael Jordan uh, in the front office, and maybe he's changed his ways over the over the course of the last year and a half, but that would be the short-sighted move to be a buyer in this situation. Um, th there's no move out there that's going to get this team over the hump to make it past the first round of the playoffs if they do make the playoffs. So that would be mortgaging the future just to say, hey, we made it to the second round of the playoffs. I just don't even know if there's a move that exists. But I could see the Hornets trying to be buyers in a situation and in a season like this. Sellers, to Brian's point, you know, I asked myself, could that be the way to do this? Like th that would be the savvy move to go trade Rozier for something in return, even though that doesn't, you know, necessarily make a ton of sense in terms of the direction with the team right now and and where they're at in the standings in the East. I think all things that we've kind of uh, gathered, this team is pushing to win, pushing for the playoffs. So that's why I think, you know, the best of both worlds is just to stand pat. I mean, you aren't selling off a piece for future assets and you're not going out to try to get a quick fix. I, I think riding it out with this roster for this season is probably the best way to go. And if I had to put money on it, Brian, I think this is the route that, that the, you know, the Charlotte organization will take in the end. So do you think the Hornets should make a trade at all, Brian? And if so, will it be more of the buyer type or more of the seller type? <sighs> Ooh, yeah. Um, I mean, I know what I would like for them to yeah. do. And, and you, you touched on some of those things um, in part because like, I assume they would be sort of like, you know, for lack of a better term tanking this year. And so they would be in line to get another high draft pick and maybe that will still happen. Like, but right now, you know, they're six in the East and even if they fall some, you know, they're still in the playoff picture of the play in scenario or whatever. So it's just like, if, 
because they decided to go so hard, they, they added Hayward and they really decided to go into like, we're going to win now sort of mode or win as much as we can now mode. It makes me think like that, that the thinking and from the front office or the top down would want to make a, like another, like a buyer trade, right. Would yes. want to add something to the roster to, to make them a, a little bit stronger. Well, what be it, you know, on the margins or something, you know, more substantial, but my thought would be, look, because you sort of punted on like getting a high pick this year, or at least for the time being you have, that opportunity cost could be sunk already. Like, don't then like flush more assets, right? You know what I mean? Like, it, like that would be the compromise I would be sort of interested in of working of like, look, if we're going to go for it, then let's play it out with this group here without really like, you know, kicking away any future assets. You know what I mean? Like we already you know, we've already dropped out of some of our 2021 cap space to add Hayward this year. And that's been a good move. So let's keep, let's keep pushing. Let's just keep going in that direction. I think it's interesting too, because it's hard to think of like who's tradable on this roster. If you're trying, let's say you're trying to make, as we discussed with Div and and Spencer last week, let's say you're trying to make, if you're trying to make just a small ad, let's say you just want to add a backup center to this rotation, right? What are you going to move to do that? Like realistically, like what's the, like, I, I guess you could try to sign a free agent. Like, guess what? Michael K. Gilchrist Jr. is still around. Like, would you, would you be interested in signing MKG? He doesn't add that sort of like vertical threat to the roster, but I think Charlotte's roster sits at 14 and they're uh, like, you know, maybe you could just try to go in and, and add, uh, you know, add MKG. Uh, I believe they're what a couple million under the, the, the cap. But uh, if you were going to trade, like what, what like small contract would you use to go add like Nerlens Noel or to add Ken Birch or to try to get, you know, Robert Williams from Boston. I don't think that's a possibility either. Like yeah. you'd have to probably use some draft capital to even grease the wheels. Right. But like beyond that, what's the, if you needed to send a salary out, what's the salary? Is it Cody Martin? Is it biz? Like, like, is it basically like, is it, is it biz? I don't think that's who, I don't think that's what you would use. Or is it one of these guys you drafted the last couple of years that this front office drafted that you have bird rights on, you know, now, I guess maybe that's Malik Monk, but I don't think that would be the best use of, 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 of him at all. Like in right now you're seeing him be, I think a fairly important piece to their rotation, even when Devante Graham uh, comes back. So just like, I don't know. It's not like they couldn't do it. It's just, it's hard to see them parting ways with, with, with several of these guys that they have that, that are even the, like the bottom end of this roster that are all cheap, guys that are maybe rotation players, but it's just like, I don't know. I mean, I guess they could trade one of the Martins. I guess they could, you know, do like, people view the know. Martins out there. Do people view the Martins as somebody that's a value? No, like, that, no that, that's why you would have to use like some sort of draft right. capital. You know what I mean? To go to, to go to New York and say like one of the Martins plus this second round pick for, you know, a, a rental of Nerland's Noel, which like, I, I don't think that's like, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know if that's something they want to pursue or should pursue, but it wouldn't, it like, 
that's the kind of move that I would be thinking, like the lines that I would be thinking along. Um, now, Nerland you know, makes five million, and Malik makes five point three. I mean, I, I don't know yeah. if you would do a straight up trade like that. Like that, that would be worth it in the end. I, I guess maybe, but I, I would, I would say no. I mean, I would, I would not. I would absolutely not do that. And, and I'd like to see how PJ finishes the season out too. Like maybe you, like you know, he's giving you some minutes at the center. Let's see him maybe play a little bit better, hopefully, but. Um, you know, you're not probably not moving biz for all of the, you know, the chemistry and leadership reasons that we talk about on the podcast. And I don't know if you want to move any of these draft picks from the last four years either. Like I, yeah. I, I don't and like that's the roster, you know, like that's it. So I, I'm just not sure that exists. I mean, maybe you try to maybe Vernon Carey Jr. plays well in the bubble. And you try to, I mean, again, he would, he's not going to give you that vertical threat that this team probably needs along the front line. And another guy that could run, pick and roll and catch lobs from LaMelo um, and give you some rim protection. But uh, during down in the bubble in three G league games, uh, Vernon Carey Jr. is averaging 25 and 10 on 60% shooting, including 67% on twos. Um, But yeah, I mean, he's not like a lob guy and he's not like a rim protector and he's not shooting three still. So Maybe you try him. Maybe you try Nick Richards, you know, before you would even consider any of these sorts of scenarios. Charlotte has options, which is nice. I just sort of surveying things. Um, I mean, you could, there's a couple of scenarios I think you can talk yourself into, but at the moment I'm not finding any of them like particularly appealing. Yes. I'd love to have another, another front court piece on this roster that, that but I don't, I don't want to, there's nothing I'm looking up and down and saying like, I either want to give that up if I'm Charlotte or I like think that they would consider giving it up if that makes any sense. Yeah. I mean, you look at the roster and, you know, matching salaries and stuff like that, the bottom of the roster in terms of the salary cap sheet, Richards, Carey Jr., Caleb Martin, Jenley McDaniels, Cody Martin, those types of players aren't necessarily going to bring a ton back in return. And, and I, I keep going back to Malik Monk. Like that's that one player that kind of fits the low ish salary and could potentially bring back a player that could be an impact, but I, I still don't. I still don't think it'd be worthwhile in the end. And like I said before, I think you just ride it out with this roster. Um, they are, they are over overperforming in my eyes, and and just see how far they can make it uh, this season. And just yeah. you know appreciate the development, appreciate the ride that they're they're on right now. So. That's kind of how I would wrap up this episode, guys. We'd love to hear what you guys think in terms of what the Hornets should do and how they should approach the trade deadline. Uh, we appreciate you guys. Thanks again for listening to another Buzz Beat. If you're listening right now and haven't given us a review on Apple Podcasts, we'd appreciate it if you could. Just scroll down on your phone, on our page, hit the five stars. It takes all of 30 seconds to do. For Brian, I am Richie. We'll see you guys next time. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. 
Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.